Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. joining us at Leaving Hillsong. My name's Tanya and this is part three of An Irresistible Drug, David's Story. It's been a great week. We've only been going a week and there's just been so much support. Thank you. It's thank you. It's really exciting to see all these different places on the map light up as more people tune in. I think the numbers really say something to all these places. So do like and follow and subscribe where you tune in. Leaving Hillsong is now on iHeart and Spotify and Google Play and Overcast and Listen Notes and Stitcher and a bunch of others. And you can always hear it on the Podbean website for Leaving Hillsong, which is www.leavinghillsong.podbean.com. You can easily just listen there. Thank you again for all the messages and comments and all the interest and support. It really gives me lots of reasons to keep going. So last episode, we left David married in church and not knowing what to do next. So you finished Bible college and have decided that the road of the pastor is not going to be your road. It's not going to happen. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I drive taxis at night. I'm 25. I believe being a musician isn't what God wants me to do. And yet I feel I can't be a pastor. I don't know what to do. I have no skill. I work night shift on taxis. But I don't know what I'm going to do. What's Frank saying? What's Frank well, saying? by this point, Frank Frank isn't talking to me. He, he'd spoken to me. I'd sort of had an exit interview and I was thinking about eventually applying for a more mainstream denomination like Congregationalists or something. An exit interview from the church or from the college? From, no, from college. Frank sat down with each of us. He was concerned. At that stage, I'd sort of started going to a small congregational church and he was quite annoyed about that. And by that point, I, I knew the language well enough to say, you know, I know this isn't optimal, but 
God wants us. I've got to follow where ah. God calls me. And I, I knew how to not get criticism, too much attack and criticism. And I also avoided going forward. We were all supposed to go forward while he would prophesy over us. And I just didn't go. I wasn't going to give him a free shot like that. So it I, sounds like the resistance was bit by bit. bit yeah. Very much so. Very much so. He's becoming, in my eyes, he was becoming more and more obsessed with money and power and less and less in being the father figure that we admired. Maybe it was an Oedipal thing. (laughs) Maybe I was just growing up and (laughs) ready, ready to kill the father. But this point, Brian, it's still not called Hillsong. The conference hasn't started but Hills CLC is growing a plenty and has started its own Bible college by that point. And then the following year, Frank turns on the fellow running the college who he bought out from America. Because I, I was the senior student. I was the golden boy in my last year, second year at Bible college. You had senior student, like like this. They made a deal about it. But I was aware that other guys were getting asked to go preach places and not me. And, you know, others were being asked to go on the, the missionary trip to the Philippines and not me. And yet you're expected to be full-time available throughout those two absolutely. years. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And the, the, while there was no Hillsong conference, there were there were sort of weekend performances and things they'd be putting on and you're expected to go and stack chairs and be an unpaid doorman. I was a theology major, not a music, so it's not like I was playing anything there. And I, I was sort of feeling I'm studying theology and why am I here? I'm here to hand out leaflets and stack chairs. Well, that's not what I want to do. That's- I'm wondering how you remember the emphasis on music in comparison with preaching. Mu- the musicians and music was always there to serve the pastors in the sermon and the offertory. That was your role, to prepare people for the offertory, for the sermon and for the altar call. Yeah, musicians come on stage kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, gently play just as I am or whatever. The music was purely utilitarian. It was there to serve a function. And from what I've seen, the, the Hillsong things I've watched online, I, I can't see that's changed at all. You are there to serve the machine for the real point, which is Brian, which is the offertory and the sermon and the altar call. You wanted a fast entry into the church. Don't study theology. Learn to play a musical instrument, piano or guitar. And that was clear from the 80s. Yeah, that that was there from the beginning. That was your fast track to the inner. And then I'm just thinking when they were able to bring music into the education side of things. Oh, right from the start, right from the start. Had their, their initial Bible college was the International Institute of Creative Ministries. Well, that was the Bible college. And so the idea was to integrate arts and theology. The fellow running it was a very well-meaning, flamboyant <laughs> Californian and so he would say, we're the, we're the Christian fame. Remember fame, the TV show? The idea was to integrate art, all the arts with music. But right from the start, there were art lecturers that were quarrelling because they wanted to do figure study. And, of course, the, no way the church would allow people to draw pictures of people with no clothes on. And so quarrelling there, 
the music teachers were generally people, if you'd had a modicum of success, then you could quite possibly score a job as a teacher there. When I say modicum, maybe you've played sessions for some soap commercials or something, yeah, or played in church services. But it was... It was. It was not. It was not the conservatorium, <laughs> and that was the uh, that that was the vision. But right from the start, they were running into Frank's vision. And while I was senior student, there was a lot of flack being directed. I, I would hear this from talking to the principal, and because the college was not making a profit, it was not paying its way, and when I dare raise the the question that is academia a business unit or is it something the church is dedicating itself to mm. for to further the faith, that, that was not a good question. <laughs> you didn't ask that. I mean, were there any good questions you could ask? No, no, there weren't, you know. Tell me about the anointing you felt, Pastor Frank, when you were preaching at this place. Hazel Houston came and spoke to us for a couple of lectures about women's ministry. I can't recall a single thing she said. I was majoring in doodling by that point. <laughs> and yet I'm, I'm wondering right. what was the equivalent cost? Was it as expensive? It was expensive. It was expensive. It, it was from memory. This is in $80. It was about $4,000 a year, I think. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. And so I got through it by driving cabs spare time. And so I was a bit different than many students because I, I did have only one child by then. Yeah, so I, I had to do that. And I think that was perhaps always going to count against me because things you'd see when driving a cab and the way you'd handle yeah. a drunk at night who wants to pull out a knife forced you to question the... You, you couldn't quite live in the, the fictional world that they proclaimed so there was a a very different community there and yes you did have guys to try and grab your money and run without paying and you'd learn how to be quicker and to grab them first and if you didn't do that then you would get hurt if you didn't block the fellow who thought it was funny to stab his cigarette into your ear from the back then you were hurt and you couldn't keep working and that was just considered part of the course. You can't just say a prayer before the start of a shift and be okay. Well, I did, but it didn't protect me. It forced me to confront reality and say, I always pray and then Jesus gets me a parking spot. But Jesus didn't always get me that job to the airport and then a return to Palm Beach. In fact, virtually never did. But Jesus did get me the guy who wants to take off his clothes in the back seat. <laughs> you know? It didn't work. And so the part of me that was prone to depression would say, there must be something wrong with me. I must be doing it wrong. And yet I could do it all right in church. I could do it all right in in college. So maybe, just maybe, it isn't like that. And then, of course, if you read a little more theology, God forbid, read, read Latin American liberation theologians, and you start to get alternate ways of viewing how faith is and reality. Point: You can't remain a, a hoostonite. You so you start going to the Congregationalist Congregationalist yeah. Church. Yeah. And 
what happens there? I mean, is there a, a last oh, look, day? It, it's, there's well, a time there's, when there's you no, tell Frank goodbye? No, no. The last, well, there was sort of a last day. Some, somewhere in the, the year or so afterwards, it's about two years, three years, where I'm flirting with the Anglicans and going occasionally and staying away. But Sunday night where I'm not driving a cab, and I um, we're, we're going to town. We go to to see the Waterloo show, and of course, what are the odds? Who's preaching there but Barry Smith, the End Times wingnut? <laughs> and I'm listening to the fact that Bankard is the mark of the beast, and all the things that were the hallmark of his with the barcodes, yeah, bit. credit cards, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, not just credit cards, Bankard. Because the three Bs were actually three sixes in the the logo. If you Google the old bank card logo, it was six six six, and of course okay. this was going to take over the world. And I step outside to go to the loo, and walk in on a bunch of guys exchanging little packets of foil. <laughs> what better place to meet your connection than there? And go outside and shocked and say something to, of all people, who was, he played drums in Rose Tattoo at some point, but had reinvented himself. So he looked like a Liberal Party enforcer. <laughs> and Frank had got rid of his secretary to hire personal assistant. But so was at that stage Frank's enforcer and who do I see but him who I'm sort of, Pretty cynical. You're all in there worrying about the mark of the beast and there's guys dealing to 14-year-olds in your toilets. And he, he of course, tells me to clear off. I've got a bad attitude and I never went back to CLC after that because I did have a bad attitude, but I had no at that point I no longer had any guilt about the bad attitude. Barry Smith had died a few years before, all of which were things which were making me increasingly, well, hang on, why is God allowing this to happen? Because... If God is almighty and it's, this is a pretty, pretty odd way to run things. <laughs> Those questions kept coming up. I think it took a long time before I, a long journey before I could say, I don't need to try and make sense of that. Maybe I can't. And maybe it's good that you don't try and make sense of that. Isn't that a wonderful place? Yeah, yes, indeed. To be at, but it, it wasn't that easy for you. No, no. It's no. straight away you went through quite a battle with mental health well yeah, yeah. and and yeah uh, well, again I tried to I tried to hide the problem because you wouldn't go and see uh, you wouldn't go see a psychiatrist you wouldn't see professional help because they'll destroy your faith and so um, at, at Moore College and I end up seeing they have a sort of counsellor you'd go and see who was a an academic psychologist who was instrumental in setting up the, I think it was Liberty one of the Australian conversion therapies and he was always wanting to give me massages in the uh, our sessions, which kind of <laughs> made me think the Frank Houston bell started leaping out. I ran away from that. Frank was just in that genre. He was a fellow deeply troubled by his own sexuality. Which you think is? I, I don't know what it was, but it, he, he, was, he was clearly interested in the male form, albeit in such a way as to have it very linked into power and control. He confessed to offences against children, quite young boys at six and seven years old, but not very much has been discussed about the way in which he influenced adult men like, yeah. like you. When I see 
Hillsong today, when I look on as a distant outsider, the thing that concerns me is I see that practice of exploitation continuing. I see young musicians coming and dreaming of being part of this incredibly successful machine, writing songs which are then referred to committees and and royalties being shared with groups of people, not just their own work. I see young people going to Bible college but working horrific hours to put together Hillsong at the Hillsong Conference. I see that pattern of exploitation hasn't changed. I can't see anything different between the way Brian and Bobby use those people and the way Frank used them. While studying theology, I became intrigued by liturgy and the way that church services work. And churches like, well, Hillsong, had a very have a very strict liturgy that the, the way a church service is conducted is very, very similar from week to week. There's very little that's ever changed, but it's never written down. It's always assumed this is the way we do church. There are phrases that are used, say the start of the sermon, turn with me if you will in your Bibles too. Nobody speaks like that in real life. This is this is liturgical language. But in the case of churches like Hillsong, it's never written down, which I think is dangerous because then it can never be objectively assessed. It's just this is how God wants us to do it. This is the way we do it. So then how are decisions made? They're made by the person who has assumed the power. And it's not, there's not an election that ever says, will Brian lead us for the next year? No, it's Brian's power. He's not appointed to, even to be Pope, for goodness sake, you've got to get a whole group of cardinals to vote for you. But Brian just takes the role. He just is. I thought it was fascinating to see them leave AAG. What did they become? Christian Churches of Australia or ACC, rather. They, they made it their own denomination. So he's not, he's not subject to any kind of vote or approval or assessment from anyone outside of the movement. He just assumes it. This is how we do it. This is how God wants. So you're either in there or you're not. And the key is how well will you agree with exactly what the power from above tells you. Having read Jeff Bullock's accounts of leaving leaving Brian, it, it struck me as following that pattern again. Brian wanted him to do something and he had the temerity to say, well, no, this is my job and I want to do it this way. It's not good enough. You will get you will get attacked. You will move on the outer. And the only real way of being safe is to be one of the inner family, <laughs> the last name Houston. They understand what a powerful tool it can be for controlling a group. You don't listen to a song because it's a great song. You listen to it because... It turns your eyes to Jesus. It makes you closer to the church. It, it has an effect which adds to their power. It's always a very calculated exercise in controlling emotions. Not that they will ever admit that. And maybe they're only tacitly aware of they're doing it that way, which is quite possible because getting back to what I was saying about liturgy, when you don't, when you don't sit down and, and write something, when you don't objectively look at it, you're less likely to assess, well, why am I doing this? But it's a formula which works. It works very well for him. 
And in their theology, if it works, then it must be from God. Mm. What God really wants is their success. And in that sense, Brian is is so much like his father, which is it's it'd be unfair to expect anything else. He's he was the great role model for him. If Frank had that impact on you, there'd be no great stretch of the imagination to think about what it would be like growing up as a child of that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Brian's growing up in Lower Hearts, an area with a lot of crime. It would have been bleak and cold, and he's. He's come here, he sees his father, but it was the 80s and and it was large and showy and brash and Frank connected onto that and so did Brian. It must have been a wonderful alternative to the bleakness of a childhood in Lower Hutt. With all due respect to the people of Lower Hutt. I'm sure it's a lovely place. I'm, it's not I'm, their fault. I'm, I, <laughs> my wife was born in Invercargill. At the, which is at the bottom of uh, New Zealand, right at the very bottom of the lower, south. Lower, lower hut. It yes. doesn't get any lower. <laughs> and and while we've been to Christchurch to visit family many times, she absolutely refuses to go to Invercargill ever again. And when I've asked about lower hut, her reply is most New Zealanders would rather go to Invercargill, which is saying that a bit us, about how isolated and cold and removed these are from the big city that Brian came to. And that's why the American prosperity story must have resonated with Frank. Look, I can make it. Yes, I've abused children, but I can get away with it because, look, I'm making it. And I've no doubt that somewhere at the back of Brian's mind is always a very real fear that he's going to be back in one of those government houses in Lower Hutt, and there's no way that's going to happen. But post-war New Zealand was not a prosperous society. People couldn't just go to the shop and buy a fridge or a television and the shops didn't have them. Outside of the you know, the centres of Auckland and Wellington, it was, Sydney was, and to a large extent still is, in, in many of these people's minds, it was the Golden City, it was New York. And having conquered Sydney, Frank and Brian couldn't rest. They had to go further because they've claimed it here. We'll keep going. Where did they go next after Sydney? Once they they left Australia, I don't know. I only followed it up to his taking over the Assemblies of God in Australia. We did by continuously accessing those regional churches and then once they'd taken it over, putting one of his own people in there. It was just classic 80s corporate aggression. And especially if you had a pastor who was having marital problems or sort of potentially being on the nose, well, you'd you'd move him to... Hawkesbury. Mullumbimbury or Hawkesbury or wherever. (laughs) Yes, wherever. (laughs) Not saying any names, places chosen completely (laughs) at random. And and so in doing that, he's then got the numbers and the votes, which they then can bring CLC into the AOG. But, of course, they've got the block of votes to make themselves in charge. In the process, they were always consolidating their votes then. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com numbers to have that that position but frank eventually got it at north shore clc there was a property developer who would buy up small suburban shopping centers shop you know a strip of four or five shops redevelop it into something flashy and then lease it off to dentist doctors and an accountant and different shops and move on and he was unabashedly predatory in his business he was held up as a model a model layman. This is God's blessing. This is how you act. Subsequently, he came a cropper and a lot of people in the church lost money through investing in his scheme, as happened outside of churches at the end of the 80s. But this was the model that CLC, that, that Frank Houston was following, and people like Brian were, were steeped in it. It was They approached humanity. business the way they approached church growth, yeah, real estate. Yeah. And, and so they approached church growth and pastoral care in the way that they approached business. There was no, 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 no academic background of, of psychology or sociology, social work. None of this factored into their thinking. Their only experience was a get-rich-quick capitalism, albeit divinely sanctioned. So you've had a lot of time to reflect since then. I've grown old disgracefully. How do you see that time in that church impacting your life now that you look back at it? Uh, it's, it's really only been the last couple of years that I can say, well, I saw the big picture. <laughs> I, I, I didn't order one dish from the menu. I went somewhere where there was a smorgasbord and I ate the whole lot. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, it was weird. And, and for years I've been deeply, was deeply embarrassed and, and very depressed at having spent so many years in these ludicrous institutions. But now perhaps because I do have a family now and, and I do have a, an extended family through my wife and I, I don't crave the acceptance and I can realise that's all I was doing. So I can be a lot kinder to myself for having been involved in there. And on the plus side, I had some really wild experiences. I've baptised people and I've pretended to talk in tongues. <laughs> I've seen a lot of weird, weird stuff. I mean, there's nothing else no, no. on earth like it. No. How did you heal out of that, that stuff? A, a lot of talking therapy and post-Freudian psychotherapy. I'm incredibly fortunate that I responded really well to antidepressant I was prescribed. And through that was, again, incredibly unfortunate that I had some people in my life who really cared. And not having been through that didn't buy into the whole judgmentalism of you failed, you let down on God. Instead, those guys are nuts. Oh, my wife points has pointed out, and, and she's right, how few people involved there had anything like a functional extended family. 
the vast majority of people there, and and I'm still friends with a few people from those, all of whom have left and similar journeys, and we're all in the same boat. Now, I'm sure there are exceptions to that, but consistently it was people looking for acceptance, looking to be part of something bigger that that could give themselves meaning instead of saying, hey, you, you have meaning, you exist. Of itself, there's your meaning. I was fortunate too in that rediscovering the fact that I could still play music and that that was okay and making peace with that. Then I had a... Um, what do you mean? Well, you could... it, it, it's not sinful to play music for the sake of it. I can just do the skill that I can do. You'd been prohibited from playing music for just for the yeah the pure yeah, joy of yeah. it. It's got to be serving God's word. But in in doing that, then I I was fortunate in having something which I enjoy doing, and we'd already started teaching a lot, and so able to keep keep doing my job, and I enjoy enormously enjoy teaching music to children. So I sort of had something that I could through a long detour of working in IT and law firms and all sorts of things, come back to almost full circle, but full circle without the need to have a Frank watching over me and telling me how to make it valuable. What an incredible weapon to have over somebody, the, the ability to enjoy or play music, such, especially such a musician. the nature of cults and abusive relationships. You know, there are no shortage of men who control their wives or partners to do not do this because it's not serving me or the family. That was how Frank related to people. He controlled them. And I saw, I saw so many young guys putting their, their life on hold in order to fulfil this higher goal that somebody mm. had told them was a higher goal. This has had a tangible cost to your life. Oh, unquestionably, unquestionably. Massive financial, massive financially, and and, and in so many ways. Well, yes, yes, uh, life would have been indescribably different. And all that would have been needed if Frank had said, look, you're carving a career in this way and that's really good. And our job as a community, as a church community, is to support you. I wonder how differently that would be. In terms of being a pastor or? Well, I probably stayed being a musician. I don't know. Right. But it would have been a very, very different journey. Instead of encouraging me to get married ASAP, Frank had perhaps encouraged me to discover who I was, who I am. There would have been a lot, lot less pain for a lot of people, not just me. The breakup of my marriage of... In your personal life, my yes. personal life. If Frank actually had been a father, if he'd have been doing what he professed to do, life would have been very different. The really frightening thing is to me that I don't see Brian doing anything different to the young people that he comes in contact with. He's more of a superstar, so it's all offloaded to younger pastors now. To the people who would say it's better than the kids hanging out down on the street or it's better than nothing, at least they're in church, at least they've got something to do. It will always be an obscenity to profess you love somebody when you don't really. That's a lie and it's one of the most objectionable lies you can engage in to delude somebody in that way because it has the end result 
that you can't believe anybody really loves you. It just fosters self-loathing and rejection and failure. And so it's just abuse. Telling somebody you're great and you can make it when you don't believe that and you don't think that and you don't really care what you, all you care is that they'll be one of your numbers next week. That's, that's abusive. That's wrong. Is it better to be hanging out with your friends in the street than being part of a lie? I think so. It doesn't mean you might, mightn't get into different problems. It doesn't mean there won't yeah. be other people exploiting you. But to say, oh, it's better that a bunch of teenagers are being exploited by this than not, because if they're not being exploited by this, something else might feed on them. That's an appalling attitude, isn't it? Really. It's okay to tell them a little lie because someone else might tell a big lie. No, that's just going to harm them. Maybe it won't harm them as much as someone else might, but it might. And at the framework in which those lies were told encouraged a lot of other people who were causing a lot of pain. So the framework that Brian set up was the same one that let Pat Masiti be proclaimed as a leader. And the same language of love and value they used were being used by Frank to prey on other yeah. people. And so I can't, do they do some good things? They certainly claim they do, but Mussolini made the trains run on time. Hmm. Does, does that ex- exclude Italian fascism and entry into World War II? Of course not. And so I can't, I can't buy into that argument at all. And I saw a lot of lives that were, were damaged. Now, I'm of an, an ear and a demographic. I saw a lot of lives damaged by drugs. A lot of lives were damaged in lots of ways. But that doesn't excuse Frank and Brian from following their path and destroying lives in the way that they do. Exploiting that, that desire to make the world a better place for enormous personal gain. And the rhetoric that Brian puts out about how he doesn't draw an income from this branch of the church or that, he knows it's wrong. He's trying to cover up. He wouldn't be saying that. If he could honestly say, this is what I make from this, great. But say that the Hillsong royalties for their music, performance royalties all go to Hillsong. Have a look at any recording and the performance royalty is Hillsong. So that's getting divvied up by whichever accountants and business managers in their machine are in charge of that. But what it means is somebody who's sung on a particular recording, if they fall out of favour, it doesn't matter their recording is still selling through the roof. They're not going to receive a cent if the agreement they have with Hillsong doesn't specifically say they're entitled to it. And we don't know what that agreement is. Whereas what would happen in a standard songwriting situation? You perform something for a royalty for Polydor or Sony or whoever. Well, you might have a contractual fallout with Sony later on and you might say all sorts of terrible things about them. But you're down as the performer entitled to performance royalties. They will keep paying you that. This is not the case with Hillsong Performance. Where does the money go? You know. You might sign to Shark Brothers Nashville and find you're getting two cents in the dollar, but you will get two cents in the dollar. With Hillsong, you don't know what you get. Certainly never made public. And 
if they choose not to give it to you, they're quite entitled to not because the performance royalty is all signed over to Hillsong. So if I go play on an ad for Bob's widgets to be played on late night radio, I don't get a percentage of widgets sold. I get whatever money to go and play the jingle for the recording and that's it. Well, all the Hillsong performers are on a similar deal and or most likely on a similar deal because nothing's made public. And the difference is I've gone into it knowing I'm being paid to do a job and that's it. Thanks. Finished. These are kids who are going into it generally devoting their time. They're doing it because it's part of their ministry, part of their great dream, and they're just being exploited. They're just being used. Brian's got his house. He's set up a very successful empire. Well, inherited a very successful empire and parlayed it into something much, much bigger. Okay, but don't pretend you're you're not earning a very high income. Don't pretend you're doing it out of some kind of altruistic spiritual calling. How do you know that he's not just a good guy that did well? I define good people as people who pay those who work for them, who don't reject people for simply questioning their judgment. If I say I love you, but then shun you because you've asked me why I'm doing something, I don't really love you. And I don't believe that the good person does that. I can't reconcile that with Christian notions of what a good person does. What would you say to somebody recently started Hillsong, started attending Hillsong, and (laughs) they're having a spiritual experience there and they're having a good time? I say very little. I talk to them about themselves. I see that quite often. I talk to them about themselves. I ask what they're interested in, what they hope to do, and leave it at that. I usually mention that I knew Brian, and they'll go, what? And I'll say, yeah, yeah, I, I played for him. I knew him personally back in the day. And they'll, they'll never, ever want to further the question. I think some, some of them maybe think I'm lying. <laughs> Others want to get away because they figure... I must have done something wrong or been in some way (laughs) inferior and and quick. I'll get away lest he corrupts them. It's a spectacular show. It's going to be very impressive. If I got sucked in, I've no doubt plenty of other people can get sucked in. And there is a huge turnover. They're not really interested in a long-term business model. It's a, a pyramid scheme that revolves around a lot of people coming in through the door. There's... Far more people who have been involved in that kind of religion than who are actively involved in it. So I've never had anybody who's going to Hillsong ask me, wow, do you, you really knew you, Brian? No. And I'll let sleep. Yeah, Frank, Frank performed my first marriage. I honestly can't. Brian may well have been a guest. I can't remember whether or not I invited, whether or not they were there. I would never fault anybody for being involved when they've spent multiple millions of dollars targeting people at any point they can get them. Yeah, yeah. The further up you go, it's the young pastors on the make that don't ask the questions, then I'll start to get more critical of. So there are some of them, some of them exit with their, their heads held high. But mostly I think they're just chewed through and and then they've acted out in some kind of way that gets described as a moral failing and it's on to the next one. There's a lot of young people ready to take that place. The system is such that if you're a good person in the way that 
I understand the word. You, you usually can't remain. You, you're unlikely to get there in the first place because you're not going to be pushing the offering. I, I can remember it's one of three pastors who told us at IOCM who the subject of the class in all seriousness was Christ is the good shepherd and you are the shepherds under him and the good shepherd knows how to shear his flock. And shear? Shear, shear the wool off his sheep. A responsible shepherd will shear the sheep. And out of that, it was that was the lead into a lecture on conducting offertories and, and the importance of getting money off your congregation because the good shepherd knows how to shear the flock. And, and it's the classic way that they'll interpret scripture to justify but where they really succeeded in, in the hills, a, a bit of it was luck, that you had a lot of these people who'd grown up in Anglican and Uniting churches around areas like French's Forest or parts of the Shire who couldn't hope to buy in the area they'd grown up in. And so all of these churches had hundreds and hundreds of people in youth groups, three, 400 kids in their youth groups. And a lot of them then bought their first home in growing hills so somewhere like kellyville which was chicken farms and pig breeders came mcmansions and these people had all been through a sort of rebellious evangelical christianity and so as they're settling down and looking for somewhere to go that's in their aspirational demographic hillsong was there ready and waiting and in the process brian toned down the wackier stuff there was less praying tongues and prophecies. And, and so he rode this demographic wave spectacularly. And what we see in places like New York is just a duplication of that. Brian is being the father that all the, the Justin Bieber generation dream of having, just as his father was the par that people like me were hoping for. I've often thought that Justin Bieber is the perfect example of a golden boy of Frank's. Oh, he would have adored him. He would have. Yes. The greatest compliment you could receive in those days was to perform your song and then get asked to play it again, do an immediate encore. And the fellows who got that honour were always of a certain look, which Bieber personifies. Pre-tattoos, Frank would not have liked the tattoo. (laughs) He was too old school for tats. He didn't like a pierced ear either. (laughs) He's almost like the outcome of that formula. Yeah, yeah, he is very much. He is exactly, yeah. You and I are sitting here talking about that, but it's quite sinister. Yeah, yeah. He was a pedophile grooming and he had deep, deep and dark psychological problems that rather than addressing with any kind of honesty and transparency, he just parlayed into a very successful, very big web. The wisdoms that you have shared today have just been amazing. And it's really starting to strike me just how many people in all sorts of ways are now speaking out. You know, it's the Hillsong Watch sites. It's I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. The phenomena carries of exes is, is growing all the time. And Hillsong, while not the only one, certainly provided the model that so many other these dysfunctional groups ran off. You thought it was just you and I thought it was just me and we're the problems and I'm really starting to take a look at is the damage 
more of the rule than the exception. And it's, it's definitely more that there's people are impacted more, more deeply and for longer periods of time than yeah, I, I think we ever realised. inevitable. Now, your five, ten-year period after our experience, and yet it was exactly the same. Exactly. You know, the, yeah. the end result was the same. And I look at the number of marriages, the number of people who are angry in varying degrees of anger and bitterness is phenomenal. Others would still profess to believe all of the stuff, but don't attend Hillsong, attend other obscure little AOG-style churches. But very, very few people manage to stay in it without eventually in some way getting ejected out the other side. The presumption is that most people walk away unscathed. I don't believe it for a moment. I think most people walk away quite damaged, quite damaged indeed. The question I still would love to see further explored is what were New Zealand Pentecostals trying to tell the AAG in Australia in the early 90s, late 80s about Frank? And the the other question, that there's this fellow called Ray Bloomfield who quite a write-up in some of Frank's history. He was the strangest and most dysfunctional preacher I've ever seen. I remember him giving a sermon once on Christ's humanity, which devolved down to a description of Mary breastfeeding Jesus, which was something like a letter to Penthouse. It was just bizarre. So this Ray Bloomfield was counted as Frank's mentor and the one who got him into the Pentecostal movement after the salvos who kicked him out. And I can find nothing about him online. Always thought to what extent was there a kind of Nambler community between Frank and others going on. David, thank you so much for sharing all of these wisdoms today and these really personal experiences that have taken you so much time to process yourself. They're so valuable. Thank you so much. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.